Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. No matter what our lives are like, do we actually live in a perfect creation? Is Dog Man roaming around New York State and Connecticut? Do healers encounter energy parasites, quote-unquote, without knowing it? Well, greetings and welcome to the 610th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben. You know, I'm Paul, and Ben is, uh, well, we have a serious traffic situation in uh, southern New England today, and Ben is tied up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, so he probably won't be here this evening, but he sends his love. Anyway, those varied questions have to do with our show tonight. It is an open line show for your listening pleasure, and we will get right uh, right going here. And I want to let you know that our calls, uh, your calls rather, are welcome. And it's uh, 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. So we are off and running. Our first one this evening is rather interesting, has to do with a case you have heard about ad nauseam on this show, but perhaps it is an ad nauseam because it keeps growing and keeps getting more interesting. This is the, what we refer to as the Connecticut Skinwalker Ranch case, Litchfield County, Connecticut Paranormal Flap. Seems to be a triangle situation there and perhaps things spilling over. And it is the subject of uh, William J. Hall's new book, The Haunted House Diaries, and Ben and I have been working on this case since 2005, so we're going on really 11 years since we've started working on this. No, I can't add. It's uh, over 10 years. So this is from Joe, who lives in Litchfield County, Connecticut. Uh, I stumbled across your website when looking for information regarding secret military installations. Believe it or not, that seems to come into this case. That's my aside. Uh, I am actually getting in touch about your 2005 visit to the Skinwalker Ranch location in Litchfield County. I grew up in the New Milford Bridgewater area of Connecticut. Always felt, even as a kid, there was something special about this territory. I know there are portals and ley lines that are causing unexplained phenomena to occur on a daily basis. I have encountered everything in the book, and it was curious if many people have come uh, discussing their alien slash sasquatch slash dogman sightings. Kent and Washington, again, towns in western Connecticut, are hot spots for odd happenings, etc. Anyway, I wanted to say hello and would love to correspond at some point. All the best. And we are in touch with, with Joe here. Um, people ask us how you can keep track of, or even especially, or study a case with the scope that this one has. And it involves at least five towns, number of square miles within this triangle as we've discussed uh, beginning with this farmhouse we started at in 2005 and uh, we sort of triangulated it with a farm where military activity was centered and you may ask what's the connection uh, we we can get into that a little bit as we have many times and then a point three which is rather mysterious to everyone uh, although Ben and I have been there in the presence of other people and it's very very strange as far as what can happen there and we believe it is point three of this this triangle let me explain a few of the terms that are in joe's letter here uh... one is portals and of course anyone familiar with this subject is uh, maybe familiar with the classical term for a portal or door where things apparently come and go from wherever or whenever uh... some people would say the spirit world uh... we don't really um, know that that is correct. Uh, we Ben and I take a more uh, scientific approach, I like to think anyway, uh, from the viewpoint of physics, which is that there are many, many different parallel worlds and that the portals, if that's what they are, come and go from any one of those worlds. We think the name portal may not be good enough. We think that in areas such as this, and there are many areas, really the whole planet, probably the whole universe, is really a coming and going point for the multiverse, different different parallel worlds that physics really does seem to point to. And many many physicists will tell you this is not theory anymore. This is fact, and it's just a matter of how, to, how you interpret it. So in, this is what uh, Joe is referring to as far as portals are concerned, places uh, where things uh, come and go. Uh, ley lines is it's sort of a 19th century term. A fellow by the name of Watson in England came up with the idea. And the ley lines essentially can be described as lines in the earth uh, or on top of the earth uh, that contain energy or something of this kind. And Mr. Watson pointed out that a number of holy sites existed in the United Kingdom 
uh, particularly England, uh, between, uh, uh, on these ley lines. And many of the old English churches, uh, and even in Ireland and pretty much everywhere in Europe, were built on ley lines, uh, whether the Christians knew it or not, because they, were, they replaced ancient temples in many cases, in certain places. Uh, you'll find churches in the middle of, of prehistoric stone circles sometimes, or what were prehistoric stone circles, or mounds, things of this kind. So ley lines are supposed to be lines of energy over the earth. Now, there is, I, I, I don't really know if I accept it quite that way. Uh, what I've found in many years of research is that there are uh, lines of energy, but they tend to move, all right? They tend to... Um, um, be like a net, I suppose, pretty much around the planet. You can trace perhaps the energy, the energy source to the uh, magnetic field around the planet. The telluric current is one of is, is something that may have been interpreted as ley lines. A telluric current tends to be an electrical charge that is below the surface of the Earth, not far below, around the surface, and tends to follow the sun. Uh, when Ben and I worked with uh, Warner Brothers to do this this little featurette that went with the movie The Conjuring, which most of you probably have heard of, if not seen, believe it or not, I've never seen it, uh, the telluric current came up in our conversation. Naturally, they edited out everything intelligent we said in this thing, but that, that was part of the discussion. And it does seem to follow the sun, so you would have things uh, perhaps being a little more energized in the paranormal sense, coming and going around 3, 4 in the morning when the sun is starting to come up because the telluric current follows the sun. So that's a long way to explain some short terms in Joe's letter. So uh, to, again, answer the question about how we manage a case of this size and to get into what Joe asks, we do tend to have a spy network. Our show has a number of reporters around the world, and in this, this area in particular, uh, we tend to have a network of people uh, who keep an eye on what's going on. They don't necessarily know each other. We prefer that they don't because then they won't be exchanging stories. And we try to um, uh, gather information and look for patterns and uh, consult with uh, some experts we work with, including uh, Mark D'Antonio, an astronomer who is uh, very, very much up on this case, and uh, also people like Joe, who doesn't know it yet, but he's uh, probably going to be asked to be one of our, of our uh, reporters out there to keep an eye on this case. And uh, I want to hear more from him uh, as far as what uh, he has experienced in that area, particularly dogmen or aliens. We all know pretty much about that. What they are, we don't know. Uh, Sasquatch, of course, is um, the uh, Bigfoot and Dogman. Well, he's another guy. Uh, he wears a cape and flies around and saves little. Well, that's not true. Now, Dogman is sort of a, a lycanthrope. So we have a caller, and uh, welcome to Behind the Paranormal on No One Twelve Forty. Hey, Paul, it's, it's Joe. Oh, Joe, the one, I'm, the one whose letter I'm yeah. reading. Well, isn't yeah. that a synchronicity? Well, welcome to the show. Glad you called in. Can oh, you, can you, have you been listening? Can you extrapolate on what I've said? Can you talk about sightings you've had out there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, re regarding the Litchfield County area, I mean, it, it's a mystical location for sure. And uh, when you were talking about the, the triangle or the connection or the triangle, did you say something about the Litchfield Triangle? I thought you Well, that's what we, we call that. it, yeah. Uh, there, there, there is definitely something happening. Um, you can feel the energy when you walk around a lot of the state parks in that it's area. It's funny I you should a lot say that, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, I just, what I was going to say is that I do a lot of hiking. And, uh, so do I. In Washington, do you? Great mm. exercise. <laughs> but in Washington and Kent in particular, uh, I've, I've heard that the wood knockings, uh, I've seen tracks, you know, it's for the, for the Sasquatch and, and Bigfoot people. And uh, I've had a, a lot of uh, really just strange apparitions and um, things happen to me in, in the, the REM state. Um, I mean, I know I'm going into a weird zone here, but as far as that's astral what we do. projection, too. That's what we do, right? Yeah. But um, I, I've, I've seen tracks. Uh, I had a cryptozoologist uh, take a look at some pictures that I took. After Hurricane Sandy came through in 2012, uh, there was a, a brief snowstorm about two or three days after that, and I went up to this one area in Litchfield County to take a look at the devastation, and I saw these prints, um, huge tracks uh, on one of the trails, and I happened to have my camera with me, and I snapped off a couple shots. After I did that, 
I had the worst sensation. Like I wanted to throw up, almost as though somebody was throwing psionic charges at me to get the hell out of there. I knew after I took the pictures that I was not wanted mm. and um, that, I, that I should have known better to have technology. I, I don't know. I just, just felt this presence say to me, leave now. I felt anyway, that. To, you know, it's funny. Yeah, um, yeah. I felt that very, very seldom, even in a place like Rendlesham Forest in England, which is, you know, with the major UFO flap that occurred there. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, oh, I, I sure have. Okay. I felt welcome there. Other people were saying what you said, and I felt welcome. Now, maybe that says more about me than it does about the place. I don't know mm. as far as negativity. But, uh, I, but I know exactly what you mean, Joe. Now, it's funny, um, I have someone else kind of, um, who's going to be keeping an eye on the state parks around there, and uh, I find it very interesting that you, you mentioned state parks. Uh, I have been in the Mount Riga State Park hiking there, and uh, we were also up in the Lemonster Mass area, just no, you know, north of there, and we're actually northeast, uh, a few weeks ago uh, doing the um, UFO conference up there, and um, I heard... I got an earful from the Bigfoot researchers who were researching Lemonster State Forest. So I don't know, maybe I don't know, maybe there's some reason these things were set aside as state parks. Who knows? Let me ask you this, Joe. Do you feel at liberty yeah. to, to say uh, who the cryptozoologist was to whom you showed? I, I have to be honest. It was a friend of a friend, so I don't even know the guy. A good friend of mine is in the paranormal world, and I handed him off to him to give to this guy. And... Um, I, I don't have a name, unfortunately. Okay. Well, now, I'm, um, I'm, just, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Now, you're aware that um, with tracks, especially in the snow, will get bigger as the snow melts? Yes, but you have to understand that these tracks, the toes had tail on, and they were definitely a humanoid. It was really? definitely not okay. a bear. Yeah, I mean, right. and they stopped. So there were two side by side, and then the tracks stopped. So... I mean, I know as a fact that this is not of this world. Okay. It, it, so it, stopped in the sense of whatever was making them apparently disappeared. Yep. Okay. Exactly. It's funny yeah. because that fits right in with our theory and the theories of many that these, these come and go through these portals, as you mentioned in your note, the term portals, you know, and, and whatever that may be. Uh, one thing we do, Joe, I don't know if you've had any contacts with any of the Native Americans. There aren't a whole lot left in that area, I've unfortunately. Tried, I've tried. I can't track anyone down. Yeah, it's difficult. There aren't a lot left. But th there are more in eastern New England here where we live, and, and they will tell you that uh, Bigfoot or whatever is a... They'll, they'll very often use the term shapeshifter interchangeably with a comer and goer kind of thing, as you might say in terms of these portals. So, uh, which, of course, will explain... And Rendlesham Forest also has... Because we, we look into... Things like flaps. We, did, we didn't just look at the 1980 UFO incident, which is well documented with the military witnesses, uh, but things that are, have happened before that, things that are happening now, and uh, various local witnesses who came to our talk in Woodbridge, England that, that night, and were, we, we were there till all hours. People just couldn't stop telling stories about what had happened to them and what they'd seen in that forest, including Yeti, as they call it, in the UK, right. which is, of course, Bigfoot. So um, I don't know if you heard what I said to the entire listenership here about you, but uh, we wondered if you would uh, do us the honor of being one of our reporters in that area, and because we don't know you from Adam, you, you know, we usually we, I, I will talk to you privately. We usually vet people sure, pretty sure. carefully, but yeah, um, I'm not one of the. I got to say though, Paul, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not a hunter. I don't like that word. I'm yeah. Not that you use, that, but I know a lot of people use that word that they hunt. I mean, yeah. For, for me. With the Sasquatch, they're, they're people. They're not animals, and I am, I know as a fact. Yeah, I hear you. They are higher you. dimensional beings that uh, that can phase in and out whenever they want. There's no way that anybody, these hunters, are going to ever get to them because they know ahead of time, psychically, that people are coming in there to invade their turf and to harm them. So mm -hmm. no one's going to ever capture a, a Sasquatch. I just I know that because they're too smart and too uh, too intelligent. To let any of that happen. No, I tend to agree. Uh, let me ask you this to expand a bit on, on our discussion, if you don't mind me yeah, keeping you a bit here. Uh, the the case, as you, I don't know if you read Bill Hall's book or any of our, seen I any of our not. shows or, or on on this subject, but uh, in that area, uh, we started with ghosts, if you will, in 05, with with the homeowner getting in touch with us, saying these things 
are only explainable. There's all sorts of unrelated phenomena going on in the property. Uh, they, they liked our multiverse ideas because that sort of explained things uh, to their satisfaction. And then later on, by 2009 and 2010, uh, there were UFO sightings all through the area, and then the military showed up. Were you witness to any of that? I don't know what town you live in. Were you witness to any of that? That was mostly Torrington and Goshen. All three. After yeah. I had uh, my encounter where I saw the, the footprints and I heard the wood knocking, and I, I didn't get into uh, depth of what else happened, but there were other things that happened. Yes, what happened is I saw an unmarked black helicopter come, come out. It wasn't that day, yeah. but the next time I went there, I saw an unmarked chopper go by, and they were <laughs> hovering over my, my dad's condo. Never saw those ever before. Hmm. And also, I had a dream about the men in black, and... Uh, Nick Redfern, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Oh, no, we know Nick, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, I, I emailed him and, and told him about what happened to me because, again, I was having an astral projection where these two men in black were coming to get me, almost as though they were trying to frighten me and to let me know that I'm, I'm I don't know, well, Nick Redfern, for those and, who don't know, is, is a renowned I, author and researcher. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, that's no, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is, right. He talks about the men in black. He does, yeah. We've had him on the show on that very subject. Yeah, he's, he's very well informed. Anyway, he told me that what, happens to, what happened to me happens to a lot of people where the men in black will choose to go in the astral field as opposed to in the 3D uh, plane to kind of harass people. And uh, that it's very, very common for them to do that. And I've never, I never had an encounter with them ever. And I, I, I said when I came to that stay away from me the higher good is protecting me you will never you know get into my field you'll never get anywhere near me leave me alone and i've never had any type of well we hear this uh, i can't say i'm almost disappointed because people report all these things i've never had them happen to me uh <laughs> we've had strange people come to our door dressed as utility workers and we found out they weren't from the utility company we didn't let them in you know military types but i've never seen anybody uh, who's black? Although uh, the uh, one of our predecessors on this station, uh, our, our dear friend, uh, the late Joe Ferrier, who was very, very well thought of to this day in, in the community here in Northern Rhode Island, uh, was on this station on ON 1240 for over 50 years with the afternoon talk show, and he was a renowned uh, experiencer from the 1960s. And he told us uh, on our show, he he did us the honor of coming on our show and said that um, he gave up UFO research about 1970, because he couldn't stand it anymore. And he said then his life went back to normal. He wanted his life to go back to normal. So we hear this kind of thing all the time. He had men in black experiences. What the men in black are uh, is anyone's guess, uh, probably transdimensional. I mean, who knows? I mean, the more, que- the more questions you think you answer, there are 10 more questions. Well, Joe, we want to thank you for, 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 for calling in tonight. It was perfect timing. And I'll be in touch off the air, and we're, maybe we can uh, hook up out there and uh, do some more do some more, uh, get into some mischief. That, that sounds good to me. I'm, I'm all game. Very good, Joel. Thanks for calling in. Okay, take care. Okay, very good. All right, interesting situation there. All right, let's um, get into a number one here We uh, before our break starts. Uh, recently, I, I have no idea when it was, but recently I was on George Nury's uh, television show on Guy MTV, Be- uh, Beyond Belief, and uh, a number of people saw that and wrote in. Uh, so this is from uh, Brian... And I don't know where Brian is from. Oh, yes, he is. He's from Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. Uh, I just watched your program with George Nuri and was intrigued with your assessment that paranormal activity is more of a space-time issue. Do you think it is possible that geopathic zones play a role in occurrences? Okay, now, the, the, this is an, another interesting term I'll have to explain. Um, we believe very strongly, and really we've seen it. This is why I used to bring a, uh, uh, a hydrologist and soil engineer with me on cases. We believe that the geotechnics of a site, in other words, the energies in the ground, the, high, the, uh, the water table, the kind of minerals that may be in the soil, all play a role in paranormal manifestations because we believe these things are essentially electrical and the boundaries of these worlds, if that's what it is, uh, are electrical, electromagnetic particularly. And so I think that uh, the term uh, geopathy or or geopathic 
uh, has to do with how these things may connect with the human mind and how you may know things because of energies tying in with your mind that essentially help to convey information and energy from these parallel worlds, if indeed that is what is happening. So uh, the answer to uh, Brian's question is essentially a big yes. Uh, that's just another way of saying what we're always saying, and that's that uh, where you are has as much to do with what you experience uh, as anything else. Certainly, it's not... People often think, well, okay, I'm standing here like a lump. I am independent of all other energies and forces. Uh, it is the island theory that everything we are is contained within our bodies and, and our brains and everything else, and that's all there is to it. Well, we don't believe that at all because there are connections uh, between you, energetically speaking, and everything else. One of the examples of this was brought out beautifully in, by a dear friend of ours in Colorado who owns a little horse ranch and has researched the, the nature of horses and how they react to people and things of this kind. Uh, every um, living thing has a DC electrical field around it. And uh, sometimes this is, a, this is called the aura or whatever, but it is a scientific fact that this energy field is around us. When you have a feeling that someone is in the room with you, or that you're being watched. Uh, I tend to think that as with horses, as, as our friend found with horses, you have entered, or they have entered your field, and the fields between you and this other being are in contact. There's not only horses and people, uh, other beings that are known as paranormal, I suppose, would uh, have the same sort of connections with you. And uh, when we say paranormal, we just mean, well, perhaps from some other parallel world that might be very similar to ours, and, and that might be all there is to it. So yes, I think that's a big yes to, uh, to Brian's question, and um, I might be interested in asking him to write further about any experiences he has had that he thinks might be related to geopathic zones or uh, geopathic energies or, or whatever of this kind. Uh, it is a field that is just uh, now being studied, as far as I know, parapsychologists, uh, with, for whom some of whom I like, some of whom I don't, I think they're far too narrow, uh, are studying this and uh, trying to come up with some data uh, related to how this might affect our mind. Uh, it is a fact, certainly, that behavioral changes have occurred in certain places. Uh, we have found, uh, particularly houses, there's one in Providence, Rhode Island, I'm thinking, uh, Ben and I investigated a few years ago, where uh, the landlord said people move in and their lives fall apart, every single person. So we, we uh, tried to move things a bit around in there and, and, and uh, make some changes uh, to the atmosphere as much best we could. And uh, things apparently did improve from what we were told, but it, it is a common occurrence. Things, the whole idea of feng shui, the idea of feng shui, you know, the, Orient, the Asian idea that things have to, really have to be in the right place for the energy flow to be correct, I think there's something to that. It has a lot to do with, with what uh, Brian has been writing about. So we're about ready for our uh, bottom-of-the-hour break here. And uh, we're going to uh, come back shortly after that. And we'll tell you that uh, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful and very fall-like Blackstone Valley. We'll be right back. It's your business. The health of our economy, the strength of our businesses affects every individual, every family. I'm Frank Prisnitz. Each Thursday, we'll visit with leaders to discuss important business and economic issues. Join me Thursdays at 4 p.m. on WOON. It's your business because it is. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. We have a number of very interesting um, Letters to read for you tonight, I don't know if we'll have the time, but we'll tell you about our charities Ben and I have adopted uh, at the end of the show in our announcement period. Okay, we have actually a, um, all right, an email. I think we're going to hold on to that right now. Let's, uh, let's go back to uh, an email from Claudia here, and I don't, I'm not sure where Claudia is from. I, I don't know, but it's quantum mechanics question. Okay, I'm put on my thinking cap here. Uh, I'm a big fan. I'm also a novelist. I'm currently working on a novel in which paranormal research plays some part as do the ideas of the multiverse. Every time I listen to a podcast where there is a mention of quantum mechanics, I do my best to try and wrap my head around it. If, according to quantum mechanics, all things are possible and happen concurrently, then what about negative possibilities? This may seem like a dumb question of semantics, and I apologize for that. 
but I'm trying to make sense of the ramifications of all things being possible at once. For example, is one reality that is possible uh, that that there is no such thing as the spirit or that complete death of a human being does indeed happen? Okay, I think I can sort this out. We've talked about some of these things, but in bits and pieces. All right, now, I should stress that quantum mechanics, a a very uh, interesting branch of physics that does go back uh, more than a century, is not a new idea. The idea of the multiverse was first used, I believe, in 1895, uh, although, albeit by a novelist who was into science, Henry James. But what we're saying here is that uh, um, this is what I've seen in 45 years of working with the paranormal, my background being in theology and philosophy, not physics, so I stress that. Uh, and I also stress that a number of physicists agree with the approach Ben and I take, and, and some other people now, this seems to be spreading, but others uh, do not. Nobody really questions anymore the idea of some kind of multiverse in some form. Some some interpreted according to string theory. There may be 11 different uh, parallel worlds, Others will say that uh, these worlds are maybe infinite, as we suggest, but that they are not, they are not uh, uh, f- uh, fully real yet. Uh, they become real when someone observes them or when someone passes into them or something like that. There's also the quantum hologram idea, something that uh, Ben and I are warming up to, but it's, uh, that's just a variation, really, I think, on the idea of fully real parallel worlds existing side by side with us. Uh, Albert Einstein, in his general theory of relativity, uh, attacked the idea of time, uh, not attacked it, but dealt with it. And uh, there have been a few issues with that theory, but generally his idea was that everything exists really simultaneously, at least that's what can be drawn from it, and that time is is a function of our consciousness. We experience time as past to future. That's called linear time. There's also a notion of cyclical time, Time, kind of, time and space kind of going in a circle. But however you interpret it, uh, the idea that we experience time a- as an objective reality from past to future really isn't, doesn't seem to be true. It's just the way we experience it. I think the mistake we make in our assumptions about how we know things is that we assume that things are what they appear to be, that things are the way we experience them, that when you see a, uh, a a moose standing in your driveway, if you live in Maine or somewhere, sometimes even here, that, that moose is really there. It probably is. But in the idea of parallel worlds, uh, there may be a world that is that is entirely different from ours, That w- and where the only difference between ours and theirs is that the moose is not standing in your driveway. Kind of a funny analogy, but that's that's what it seems to be. There are worlds. Uh, there are many worlds in which you exist in many forms. Uh, some very much like here, and then we can go on and on and on with this. But this is what we seem to uh, seem to see. Okay. Now, um, to just address the question here, it is difficult, uh, Claudia, to get your mind around this thing precisely because we don't experience life this way, or do we? When I worked in psychiatric hospitals as a seminary student and as a grad student, I was constantly running into people who had been diagnosed schizophrenic, and this is back in the 70s, and they seemed to live very often in horrible worlds and very often in lovely worlds, but they seemed to be real worlds. They, just, they would look at you and you just get the impression that, that, that they knew more than you did. Now, uh, some psychiatrists have told me privately, uh, and psychologists have told me privately, that that they they suspect the same thing, but they don't dare say it because they lose their job. So um, the idea of the negativity is possible. And this is where we get into one of our opening questions about maybe do we really live in a perfect world without knowing it. And perfection, some of the Greek mathematicians might have told you from the old days, uh, would depend on balance, mathematical balance in their case. And so there are plenty of negative worlds in which we live. Again, I, I, we, Ben and I believe that we are, we are one being across many different worlds, many versions of ourselves. Uh, I often notice that scientifically, as far as I know, they, that nobody has ever definitely pinpointed where the memory is or where the imagination is. And we think that our entire subconscious mind, which is, of course, much, much larger than our conscious minds, uh, are living in, are, are made up of parallel lives. We're living in these parallel worlds. Kind of strange concept, but we believe that that's what, what's really happening. 
That's why we have what we call reincarnation memories, memories of past lives that are really not in the past, but are parallel to us and that we're living right now. Uh, sometimes whenever I talk to a regression therapist, someone who hypnotizes people, takes them back to past lives, quote-unquote, I always ask them, do you encounter subjects who, who talk about a world that you don't recognize or a world in which it is to us the future? And almost invariably, they'll say, funny, you should ask, yes. And many regression therapists are now, because of that, beginning to accept the notion that we're living parallel lives, or at least in addition to, uh, if not rather than, past lives, and which, of course, include future lives. So th these are all things that maybe put arrow in the, arrows in the quiver of our argument about what this, is really, what this really is. So when you find people, who, and we often have worked with people who have very negative lives uh, as we can see them here and now we often find that uh, the evidence is that they are having that most most of their their parallel lives or at least the ones that are connecting with them here are negative uh, personal issues addictions uh, terrible dependencies uh, even beyond that and things of that kind uh, experience as as being prey for the parasitical entities that folklore calls demons and that we run into all the time and we find that people who are very positive, say like Mother Teresa or somebody like this, uh, has a vast majority of lives in, in positive reality. And again, th this is one person. You are one being across all these different lives. And really, we all connect with each other. So the idea that um, if all possibilities exist, which is not something all physicists believe, but a lot of them do, all possibilities exist in, contract, in the concrete reality, Maybe the whole thing is really a perfect balance, and that our particular lives here that we're experiencing in our conscious lives really um, will depend on how positive our other lives may be. Now, again, this is really strange, but th there are a lot. There is negativity and, and there is positivity out there, and that's um, uh, it's really up to us to create the balance. Now, one, another one of the difficult concepts Claudia doesn't bring it up, but it connects with this, is that we have. Is that, okay, why are we experiencing this life right now? I'm here in the studio with our excellent producer, and I'm experiencing that. And you may be in your car listening or somewhere else. And the question is, why am I experiencing this and not life in some wonderful mountain cabin where the birds singing, sing and the squirrels all hum in harmony and the grass all stands up straight? Well, you are experiencing that, just as real in that world as you are here. We are at the point in our evolution, I think, where we cannot quite handle the living experience of all these worlds. And if we did, we'd probably have a perfect life. However, we're at the point in society where I would run into these people in psych hospitals where they were judged schizophrenic because they were having experiences of other worlds, sometimes good, sometimes bad. I don't think we're there yet. And those who are have to be very careful that they keep their feet on the ground that they can function in society. Because ultimately, we have responsibilities and we're here for a reason and we're experiencing this for a reason. So I think there's plenty of negativity, but we make our own bed in the multiverse. I think, uh, Claudia, that it's up to us to make things positive and that will echo across all our lives in the multiverse. I think that's really how it works. Uh, so, and, and the, the end of your question, uh, no such thing as spirit in a certain world that a complete death of a human d does, does indeed happen. Okay, th now that's a good question. It's almost like the old time paradox. If you go back and shoot your own grandfather, how could you be born? And so how could you go back and shoot your own grandfather? Well, uh, that, that's not how it works in the multiverse. However, it is a good question. We say often kind of a slogan with us is that death is impossible in the multiverse because how can you have death in, in, a, in a creation where you're always alive somewhere and some when, body and all, all right? Uh, that, that's perhaps a bit of a stretch because if all things are possible, there would be a world in which death is possible. But we're not talking about individual worlds. Death is possible in this world because we go to funerals. But in the multiverse itself, death really is not possible because, you, I, I, as I said, you're alive in so many places and so many times, and it's all you. So in certain worlds, death is possible, and, uh, but not in the whole, in the whole scenario, the, whole, the greater multiverse idea. The idea of spirit, Ben and I often question that because people assume here that when someone dies, their, their remnant goes somewhere else or stays behind and, and, and is a ghost. I mean, maybe that's possible, maybe we're wrong, but we don't think 
that that is quite how it works, at least not with the laws of physics as they are in this world. And there are plenty of other worlds where the laws of physics are very different, and physicists will say that. But what there appears to be is, uh, at least in worlds like this, and most worlds maybe, I don't know, it's difficult to say, but we don't think that that's how it is. We think that when you're seeing a ghost, nine times out of ten, you're seeing some, you're across the world boundary into somebody else's life that's going on in a normal, probably physical way, uh, and is connecting with, with you at the time. That's why some people will see it and some people won't. Some people aren't tuned right, and they'll be in the same place at the same time. With the, and that's why things very often are so physical in these manifestations. So we don't disbelieve in spirit, which by definition is the uh, totally non-physical manifestation of someone or something. But we don't think it takes place in this world as such. There are other forms of matter where it might. So that's, uh, that's essentially how I might uh, answer that. Okay. So thank you very much for writing, Claudia. Uh, here is one. Uh, let's, all right, let's just tackle this. This is from... Uh, Eric and I um, do not Eric uh, Hunter well sorry Eric um, has a, a doctorate he says here so I uh, just watched you on George Nuri's show uh, great show thanks you mentioned energy parasites on the show I had never heard that term before and I was wondering if uh, what I haven't been, been encountering when doing healing work is the same thing uh, as we just suggested, these parasites, as we call them anyway, are the reasons for the folklore we have about uh, all over the world about demons, even vampires, life-sucking ghosts is what the ancient Sumerians called them, and that seems to be what these things do. And they're not spirits in our belief; they're not servants of Satan in our belief. They appear to be life forms that simply are able to access different worlds and feed. It's pretty bizarre, but that's what we seem to find. And uh, there are ways to deal with them, uh, we believe, and we have done that. Uh, now, here's, uh, here's what I encounter, Eric continues to write. What I have found is that when someone suddenly becomes ill or injured for no apparent reason, I often uh, clairvoyantly can see, quote, worm-like enti energy entities, and sometimes entities with demonic faces, quote-unquote, attached to the person. Now, that's interesting. We, we hear that a lot. That's not how I have ever experienced it. However... I like the idea, I don't like the idea, but I, I like the term here, worm-like energy entities. If you go to our Facebook page, Behind the Paranormal uh, Facebook page with Paul and Ben, you know, uh, you will see a video that has been mentioned in uh, Bill Hall's book, The Haunted House Diaries. Uh, we were out in this Litchfield Triangle area of Connecticut that we, our first questioner uh, was, lives in and was, was questioning uh, our experiences in uh, that <coughs> is very interesting from the viewpoint of these worm-like energy entities. If you look at the video about six seconds in, there's something that comes down out of the tree. It's almost like a tadpole and it does look kind of worm-like. And it comes down, it disappears. And just the reason I, I took a picture was at night, not a picture, a video, uh, with an infrared camera, was because, was because the little boy in the house told me that his invisible friend was in the tree. So was this a parasite masquerading as an invisible friend? I mean, that's entirely possible. So again, maybe coincidence, but I, I was struck by the term you use here, Eric, worm-like entities. Uh, entities with demonic faces attached to the person. Uh, I can go to a mild trance-like state and use a shaman's palm rattle and a knife or sword. I can drive off these entities and person gets better fairly quickly. Okay. Now, I just, we have a lot of caution when, when we see things like this. Now, we don't know Eric, but a lot of people say they can do this stuff. And uh, we get really kind of nervous. In order to be a shaman, you have to walk the walk and live the life. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not judging Eric here. I don't know him from Adam. Maybe he's terrific. But in general, people will ask us, how do you become a shaman? How do you fight these demonic entities or whatever you call them? Well, again, you walk the walk and you live the life. A lot of the ones we know, we, there aren't a lot, but uh, some of the ones we know are, are native to Mexico or South America, have actually gone down and lived the life, studied with shamans, done the work. Uh, you can't do it by reading a book or two here, uh, or even by having a conversation or two with indigenous peoples or shamans, as I have done in the past. And I, no way would I ever consider myself such a thing. I work in a different level than that. Uh, but again, you know, with all due respect, maybe Eric is doing the right thing here. Uh, I have seen photos with some of these faces and everything else. But again, when you look at a photograph, your mind will take 
what it sees in the photo and make something out of it that it can understand. Uh, that's a well-known optical and uh, mental phenomenon, and uh, we just express caution with that because it's a matter of um, doing a lot of testing of any kind of photograph, and even then you can't really be sure. What we do when Ben and I have photos, we submit them, we've always submitted them to a photo expert now, it's, uh, we, we submit them to uh, Mark D'Antonio, who is the Mutual UFO Network's uh, advisor and uh, an analyst of, audio, of uh, photo and uh, video uh, that comes to MUFON. And uh, he is, uh, despite his UFO interests, is a, uh, an astronomer who does a lot of very important work. And uh, he is a very, very good person to have that. And, of course, he, he, he uh, shoots just about everything out of the water. <laughs> And we like that. That's what you need. You need that kind of skepticism. So um, we have heard of what you're saying here, Eric. And I'll continue with, uh, with Eric's letter. Uh, I don't anthropomorphize all things, these things much and will describe them as demonic. Okay. The term anthropomorphism is essentially a theological term. Anthropomorphize means to take something and, and put human uh, characteristics on it. All right. When you, when you uh, look at something in an anthropomorphic way, for example, God. People anthropomorphize God by thinking God is an old man with a white beard sitting in the clouds. That's anthropomorphism. Okay. So um, uh, Eric is saying he doesn't do that, and he will describe them as demonic. I really uh, think they are demons, but rather I really don't think they are demons, but rather some kind of energy. Okay, uh, with you on, on some of that. Uh, is this at all similar to what you're talking about? Yes, and I think I just explained that. Do you have descriptions of the different species of energy parasites anywhere? and how uh, you deal with them when helping people. Uh, we do have about nine different species. I don't have time to get into them now. Eric, I will be happy to email them to you, and I guess I should make them available online. We've done several shows on that, uh, and they are in our upcoming book, Cosmic Journey uh, from Schiffer Books, which will be out who knows when. And the other thing I have encountered, continuing with Eric's message here, uh, several times in my life, not voluntarily, are what you might call ghosts or poltergeists. Okay, well, that makes two of us there, Eric. I have been in houses and places where this sort of activity was occurring. At the time, I tried to drive it off by yelling at it to go away while burning sage at every corner and top part of the house. I've actually had people say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore, and they don't have any trouble for a while, but yelling at it is really not the way to do this. I found out the hard way in the Bridgeport poltergeist case of 1974 that you have to be calm you have to avoid being even annoyed or fearful and at least of all angry or these things get stronger. Uh, I've, I've mentioned that story a number of times on, on a number of shows about what happened to me there and how I found that out. So I, I, I don't know if yelling at it is a very good idea. Uh, Eric continues, this had limited effectiveness. Well, yeah, and the activity would eventually resume. Do you have a protocol for dealing with these things? I like the laughter treatment. Well, it's funny you should say that. Maybe you heard our show where I talked about the, uh, the New Haven, Connecticut poltergeist of 1975 that I essentially got rid of by using a joke book. Okay. And now I, should, and I qualify that when I talk about it by saying that the things had, there were about six of them, had pretty much run out of steam, had gotten enough to eat, which is why they do this, and uh, had pretty much uh, didn't need uh, to feed anymore on this, on this particular woman and her daughter and in the house. I won't go into it again. It's available elsewhere uh but that does seem to work uh laughter i point i always tell my sons uh always always laugh but not at each other you know keep it positive uh bringing in uh, unity and love and getting rid of division that may exist in a household will uh, almost invariably repel these creatures and so I think that the, the laughter treatment, you're on the right track there, Eric. But the protocol that we use is simply, Ben and I call it the Peter Pan theory. Think happy thoughts. Bring in positive energy, thinking, faith, love, whatever it is. And it's funny, people often say, well, gee, you know, if you're religious, this stuff can't happen to you. Well, I beg to differ. The worst polter, some of the worst poltergeist cases I've ever seen have taken place in, in households with, uh, with, that were very devout uh, religiously speaking, because the spirituality they adhered to was very negative. And with all due respect to the Roman Catholic Church, which is the place where I learned to love God, there were a lot of negative aspects to spirituality back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And the, the Bridgeport case I just mentioned, uh, the family there was very devout Roman Catholic, but had a very negative 
you know, go to hell if you eat hot dogs on Friday spirituality. That is not positive. And they seem to have a lot of trouble. Now, there aren't an awful lot of people left with that kind of spirituality, but again, there are plenty of other negative spiritualities. Those who bomb and kill others, from, you know, who are Muslim extremists, say, or extremists of any faith. There are Hindu extremists. Extreme, there are Christian extremists. There are extremists of any faith. That is negative and is not good uh, in this situation when it comes to the paranormal. And uh, that's okay. And um, I always attributed this to tears in the space-time fab- fabric. Eric continues, I was surprised to hear you describing somewhat similar things on the show. Well, there you go. Uh, most people seem to anthropomorphize these phenomena, uh, you know, assuming, for example, that uh, it's, it's a, the uh, upset ghost of the grandfather who died and didn't like what you did with his money or something like that. Uh, that is very seldom the case as far as we've ever seen. Uh, and anyway, Eric continues, what you said makes sense, and being uh, too religious, negative, serious could actually make these things worse. Well, there you go. Um, Eric, I will uh, send you the list of parasites there and uh, see what you think of that. But thank you for your very thoughtful, thoughtful note. Okay, uh, we are almost down to the wire here. Seven minutes, okay. Here's a real quick one from Pete in Gosford, New South Wales, Australia. Uh, with all due respect, what qualifies you to hunt ghosts while you tell other people not to? I do love your show. <laughs> thank you, Pete. Very, very good and sensible question. Yeah, don't do this at home. We always um, tell people, uh, don't, don't do it. Uh, I, remember, I often recount the story of when I was at, uh, a, a, against my better judgment, speaking at a conference for uh, beginning ghost hunters in Tampa, uh, Clearwater, Florida, uh, several years ago. And they asked me, oh, Mr. Eno, if you had one word of advice for the audience, what would it be? I said, don't. 230 people stared at me. And I said, you have no idea what you're doing. You don't understand what it is. You're going to have problems. Heaven help you if, you have any, if you're on the edge psychologically uh, in anything, because it's going to make you worse, et cetera, et cetera. But I said, but well, here we all are, so we might as well talk about it. So I think that um, had I known then what I think I know now, I would not have gotten into this. But I started uh, at the age of 17 when I was studying for the priesthood, and I worked with some of the best experts in the world, including uh, Father John Nicola, the Jesuit, who was an exorcism expert and a spiritual advisor for that awful movie, The Exorcist, which he regretted to his dying day, and also a Louisa Ryan of Duke University, Dr. Louisa Ryan, uh, the wife of uh, Dr. J.B. Ryan. They, they were together the founders of modern parapsychology. So, and then I also worked with Ed and Lorraine Ward. So I had all three kind of aspects of, of this. I had paras- the scientific parapsychology, the theological approach, and Ed and Lorraine Ward's kind of pop ghost hunting approach. So... By the time I got into this and realized, well, gee, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have started to do this if I knew what this is, this is. I sort of had some experience and expertise, uh, if, if, I, if I say so myself, probably a lot more than most people who do this have today, who just have read a few books or watched a few TV shows, and then the media accepts, accepts them as experts. Um, I would say you really do have to have some kind of background like that or have perhaps a degree in physics or psychology, and even then. Uh, that necessarily doesn't co- doesn't qualify you. People say that uh, clergy uh, are called in on this. Well, the clergy, as far as I know, including Roman Catholic priests, are not trained to deal with this. They just aren't. It's not a normal part of priestly training. And I got to within like two two years of ordination, and nobody ever mentioned it to me except to get me in trouble. So there it was. So I'd say uh, that is perhaps a reason uh, why I do it now and uh, why others perhaps shouldn't. I don't know. Okay, so let's... Um, Thank you. I thank everyone again for the questions, and let's begin again with uh, some of our announcements uh, to catch us up on what Ben and I are doing. Uh, let me find where we are here and tell you some of the things we have coming up. All right. Uh, now, um, on Thursday, this Thursday, October 29th, 7 p.m., uh, I will be, hopefully Ben and I both will be uh, at the, we are going to be speaking on the nature of paranormal phenomena and review our top cases at the New England Institute of Technology, East Greenwich, Rhode Island campus, 7 p.m. Public is invited. Program will be in the Hall of Fame room. A reception will follow in the library. You can use the link on our website, behindtheparanormal.com, to find out more about that. Or go to https library slash slash library dot neit dot edu. Uh, bring you right to some information on that. 
are speaking of our website, you can find nearly uh, 650 free podcasts of that, BehindTheParanormal.com, of past shows from both ON 1240 here and our four-and-a-half-year run, four run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Ben and I will join author and researcher William J. Hall for a presentation on what's really behind the paranormal Saturday, uh, November 21st at the Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire. Visit BehindTheParanormal.com for details on that. There is a link. You can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook. If you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I will sign them for you, and you'll help us keep all those podcasts free. And there, is, there are lots of uh, charities Ben and I have adopted, certainly USA Cares, BuildersHelpingHeroes.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and Youth Mentoring Connection out in Los Angeles doing great things for at-risk youth out there. All those links are at BehindTheParanormal.com. And we want to point out also... Uh, special interest to hear on here, I should say, here on ON 1240 to our listeners uh, and in our listening area. Another Tim Beckley book published by him, uh, UFO Repeaters. There's an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, talk show host here on ON for over 50 years. And that is available on Amazon. And you can links, use the links on our online bookstore, which has recently been expanded, to include our T-shirts, by the way. Which, uh, which use our brilliant slogan, understanding the paranormal is not the problem, it's handling the explanations. We have those various sizes, so check that out. I won't sign those for you, though. So anyway, next Monday, November 2nd, uh, we'll welcome world-renowned UFO expert Richard Dolan, who by some ridiculous quirk of fate has never been on the show before. Uh, we've seen him, we see him at conference after conference, and he's finally uh, going to come on, and uh, his schedule allows it. So... Uh, we wanted to also point out, oh, yeah, one more book that you might not be aware of, uh, too, that uh, is the subject of a lot of interest lately, and that is uh, The Bell Witch Project, also from Tim Beckley, and it involves a number of contributions by me on some old cases here in New England. Okay, we leave you this evening with a thought from the great American classical pianist Arthur Rubinstein. I have found that if you love life, love, life will love you back, unquote. I'm Paul Eno, and Ben will be back next week, hopefully. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.